Pierre is a pastor in Lebanon. The way he spreads the gospel can serve as a model for all of us. First, he spends time with unbelievers and gets to know them. But then when I am uh, having the opportunity to share my genuine faith and experience of Christ, I share it not aggressively, joyfully, lovingly with those whom I love, you know. As if Jesus was standing in my shoes, I have to also stand in his shoes and then uh, behave the same way. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton, and I'm in the studio today in Bartlesville, Oklahoma with Pastor Pierre. Pastor Pierre is a gospel worker from the country of Lebanon, the beautiful country of Lebanon. He is a pastor, he's a seminary leader, and he is a longtime follower of Christ in that country. Pastor Pierre, welcome to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you. It's a great privilege for me to be here in this place who is caring for people who are uh, raising the torch of the gospel in the difficult areas of the world. Well, we are honored to have you here and we're honored to serve alongside our persecuted family around the world. Pastor Pierre, I know early on in your Christian walk, you read a book in Arabic. I think you said the Arabic title was The Red Torture. We know it here at Voice of the Martyrs as Tortured for Christ, the book by Pastor Richard Wormbrand. What kind of seeds did that plant in your heart to read really early on as a follower of Christ that, wait a minute, there are Christians who are in prison, there are Christians who are being beaten for their faith— how did, how did that affect how you understood what it means to follow Christ? Yeah, actually, I read it maybe days or weeks after my conversion. I was 15 years old back in 1977, and then it was maybe one of the very few spiritual books in my hand, so I wanted to know by curiosity. And then reading it, I saw in it genuine echoes of what happened to prophets and saints in the Old and New Testament, those who wanted to live for the truth and really to be spokesmen of God on earth, sometimes they had to pay the price. And then I really was astonished and maybe not afraid, but it became serious for me that there is a price to pay. For our salvation, the Lord Jesus paid the price to atone for our sins, but for our sacrificial life of dedication, we have to pay the price. We have to be ready. And then it taught me from the very early beginning of my Christian life that to follow Christ is not really a cheap path. It is serious, but it is joyful, and there is always glory waiting beyond. I love that you mentioned the joyfulness, not only, obviously, of Pastor Wormbrand, who wrote Torture for Christ, but that's one of the things that I always want American Christians to understand when I get the chance to go and interview Christians who are persecuted for their faith. I think we kind of have a picture that they're going to be really discouraged and depressed, and wow, they've, you know, they've been to prison, they've been beaten on, they've had a family member that's been killed— but when you go and sit down with them, they are smiling and they're excited and they want to talk about how faithful God is and what he's done in their lives. That's something that has so impacted my understanding of what it means to walk with Christ. And you see that firsthand and you experience it firsthand 
living in the Middle East, living in a country where there are a lot of Muslims, that joy of walking with Christ is something that that more Christians, I think, here in America need to get a hold of. Yes, yes. You named your daughter after a martyr, uh, Bonnie Witherall, uh, somebody who is actually honored on the martyr's wall here at Voice of the Martyrs headquarters. What was it about Bonnie's life that made you want to honor her memory by naming your daughter after her. After uh, Bonnie Penner with Roll laid her life for Jesus, I mean, she was martyred, she was murdered by some criminal or so because she was speaking about Christ among all and among Muslims whom she loved. She was serving uh, poor Palestinian families from the camps and then providing for them medical help. And then uh, somebody followed her when she forgot to lock the door of the clinic inside where she used to serve. Somebody followed her and then shot her three times in the head to revenge for what? For her love, for helping the needy, for uh, expressing uh, care and and compassion for people who are in uh, really uh, uh, misery. I don't understand. The Lord Jesus loved us when we don't deserve. And the same, we reciprocate the echo of this initiative by the Lord Jesus, by loving people in his name, even if they don't deserve. This is the thing we have to offer to the world. And then two, three years, we didn't have a child. Then when we had a child, and then it was a baby girl, the name compelled itself on us. We couldn't name her, honestly. I said, what else can, then Bonnie, we can call her. No, 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 this is, I mean, like, we were so obsessed about her personality and about her name and about uh, her model as a Christian, very young. Maybe she died, maybe she was pregnant also. Maybe she was going to have a child. They were really eager to have a child. And then we just uh, gave our only daughter the name of the Christian martyr, modern Christian martyr. A, A great legacy to pass along to your daughter to say, hey, this is the lady we named you after. She came here to serve the people. Yes. She laid down her life for Christ. We want you to live like she lived. We want you to model yourself after her character. Yes. What a what a blessing. Bonnie's story is told in a book from Voice of the Martyrs, Fox, Voices of the Martyrs, a book that people can order from VOM. Pastor Pierre, you have been threatened for your work, too. You've had people say, you shouldn't do this. You should get out of here. You should be more quiet. You should only work with Christians. Don't talk to Muslims. How do you how do you keep going in the face of those threats? Do you ever feel intimidated? And and how do you just keep keep ministering and keep working, knowing that there are people who are opposed to what you're doing and, and might even attack you personally. I think if you are convinced about what you have in hand and in your heart, if you have the light and others are in darkness, you cannot help but to give it out. If you know the truth and then you are convinced that others are not really, did not get a hold of the truth yet, you want to make them aware of it, you know, one way or another. So lovingly, wisely, yes. Sometimes we are advised to be, I would say, very uh, wise and very... Uh, just to know what to do and what not to do, as they say, politically correct. But, I mean, uh, there is no apology in love, you know. I have many, many friends from uh, Muslim Muslims, very close friends, doctors, uh, engineers, my school friends. I love them dearly, you know. But then when I am uh, having the opportunity to share my genuine faith and experience of Christ, I share it, not aggressively, joyfully, 
lovingly with those whom I love, you know. As if Jesus was standing in my shoes, I have to also stand in his shoes and then uh, behave the same way. Do you ever feel afraid when those threats come in? Do you ever feel like, "Uh uh-oh, this is scary? To be honest, uh, in the current circumstances when we observe and contemplate what's happening in the world, especially in our region of the world, I do worry sometimes for big congregations, I would say Christian churches and uh, whatever, big gatherings, you know, that somebody who has the wrong idea coming with the wrong motives, uh, the wrong ulterior motives and intentions to do harm. And then we do worry. However, the governments in the third world, they try to help like all of uh, worship places among Christians or Muslims. They have like kind of protection by the army or the security forces. However, I think our real security comes from our approach to others. If we love them, we love just uh, expels fear away. Perfect love casts out fear. Yes. Yes, I like that. Pastor Pierre, God is at work in the Middle East. He's doing some amazing, mind-blowing things. Can you talk a little bit about that and share with our listeners how you see God at work in Lebanon, but also in the surrounding countries as well? Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, Lebanon by itself now is playing the role of, I would say, a refuge place. People who are fleeing away from Syria, from Iraq, or even sometimes in history from Egypt, uh, maybe several decades ago, Lebanon always played the role of, I would say, a refuge place for those who are religiously persecuted, you know. Mostly Christians persecuted as minorities and then uh, little ethnic groups and enclaves of uh, remnant of Christians here and there. Those Christians, traditional Christians, they uh, have been holding the name of Christ and that the Christian traditions for centuries, since the early century, uh, centuries, since the time of the apostolic church. However, Unfortunately, now everything is being shaken. Uh, people are being just swiped away from their uh, motherland and then their centuries-old lands. And then they come to Lebanon. In Lebanon, the opportunities are very high for many uh, churches, especially evangelical churches actually are more, uh, I would say, willing than many others to help and to respond to the needs of those people who are hungry, who are in need of medical care, of uh, accommodations, housing. Of course, you cannot respond to the needs of all because there are the United Nations, all different kind of Western countries are trying to help. But the churches are playing a very vital role, spiritually speaking, emotionally speaking, and also on the humanitarian aspect. And then they present humanitarian help. And also they present for those who wish the word of hope from the gospel of the Lord Jesus. How many refugees are we talking about in Lebanon right now? We are a nation of four millions, four millions and a half as Lebanese, including the Palestinian uh, refugees. Now we have about two million Syrian refugees. So the third of our country is filled with uh, Syrian refugees. So if if you put that in, in American terms, if there are 300 million Americans, that's the equivalent of 150 million refugees Something, coming to America. Yes, yes. Uh, well, and more than this is that the uh, demographic density in Lebanon is very, very, very high, one of the highest yeah, in the world. It's not a, a big country. Tiny, tiny country <laughs> with many, many, many people. So what is the response of Muslim refugees when it is Christians who are willing to help them? How do they accept that? How do they respond to that? I think people, when they uh, lose everything, they have nothing else to lose. Uh, 
So they try to rethink their convictions and then they are trying to understand the reason, their reason to live. How can they continue? So people are being more open than ever to uh, relate to other, I would say, ideologies or, uh, and then they're, I would say, intellectually open to listen to a different opinion and even maybe to rethink their own spiritual convictions or religious convictions, which might have proved wrong. So now there is more openness, more uh, hunger, spiritual hunger. The physical needs sometimes they compel people or bring people closer to God to seek his help. And then when they look around and they see people from their own religions, like the Gulf countries, they're doing close to nothing, you know, when they have all the billions of dollars in the world, they're doing close to nothing. And then they see tiny little evangelical churches who are trying to help, doing more than what they can to help. Then this is really astonishing. And, and they have to have an explanation for that. You know, of course. The Muslims are not helping us. You Christians are helping us. Why are you doing that? What a great opportunity for Christians to say, yeah, well, yeah, here, let me yeah. tell you why. What role is ISIS, radical Islam, playing in their mindset as they come in? Because I know the story we hear on this side of the ocean is that, you know, ISIS is not really Muslims. You know, they're they're confused. They're off. I don't think that's what Muslims in the Middle East would say. Does that make them more open to the gospel or or more thoughtful about their own faith and, and what the teachings of Islam are? You mean uh, the regular Muslims when they observe the ISIS and what yes. they are doing? Well, it depends on what kind of Muslims you are talking about. If you're talking about, I would say, very deeply convinced Muslims, they would try to say, well, ISIS is not real Islam. We are a religion of peace and uh, reconciliation and whatever. Uh, we hope so. But, I mean, uh, history proves that the whole Middle East area, which was full of Christians after the, uh, I mean, uh, the expansion of Christian missions in the early uh, three, four centuries, then after the advent of Islam, I would say the whole Middle East uh, was changed. It was invaded by force by the Islamic armies. And then people were given choices. Either you accept Islam or you die, or you pay the taxes for not accepting this new religion. So it was enforced, uh, one way or another. So I think what ISIS is doing now, it looks odd to the 21st century, but if you compare it to what was happening in the early uh, Muslim invasions, there are lots of similarities. So you can see lots of similarities between ISIS behavior today and the the behavior of early uh, Muslim invaders, not on every regard, to be fair, but in many regards. You you mentioned that the church is responding to the needs of the refugees and helping. How are they able to do that? Uh, or are they overwhelmed by the needs? How do they decide, okay, this is what we can do. There's no way we can meet this need. Is that a kind of a battle or a challenge within the church? We have to recognize that the fact that not all churches are helping. Some are not able to. They don't know how to get the means to help. Some, they don't want to because they think if we help these refugees, then we are encouraging them to stay in our country. Then they become a liability on us, a burden. Then they would be settled here. We are a very tiny country. Then we lose our own lands and then we will immigrate and then they will replace us. Some think this way. But generally speaking, Bible-believing evangelical churches are uh, 
showing love, showing care. They do this mostly, I would say, when they try to reach out to other organizations bigger than them because they don't have the means. There are mil- I mean, uh, uh, thousands and thousands of refugees. So they try to appeal for help from uh, larger Christian organizations in the West or locally, mostly in the West, to be able to provide food parcels, medical uh, services. Sometimes teams are going from the West to the East and then the churches there, they just accommodate them as we, was the case with our own church. We had a group of medical team and then they came, spent one full day and then I would say treated about 60 uh, Syrian refugees, which was very nice to do. And then, and then we feel, oh, let's do more then because they are so needy and we can help. The challenge, I think, of any kind of refugee ministry is whatever you do, there's so much more that needs to be done. It, does it does it ever seem overwhelming to you that, oh, we helped 60 people, but there are 600 more that we didn't get to help, we didn't have time to help? Does that ever start to overwhelm you? Yeah, when we think with this, I would say, statistical logic, you know, oh, I helped 10 or 100, but then there are a million, uh, millions, you know, what can I do? I think the way God works through his people is on an individual basis. You know, I cannot preach to the 7 billion people on planet (laughs) Earth, but I can tell my neighbor about Christ. So we have to take what is on our plate, what the Lord puts in our hands, and then be faithful in the little we have so that he would increase the fruits for the future. You have talked, Pastor Pierre, about persecution bringing some blessings This is a hard lesson for American Christians because we kind of tend to think, "Uh uh-oh, we don't want persecution. That would be terrible if we got persecuted. But you say there's some blessings that come from persecution. What are some of those blessings? I think if we look at uh, the history of Christianity and history of Christian missions, we see that when the church was persecuted, it was very pure in doctrines, in practice, in life. It was also more united because we knew who is the enemy, Satan, you know. And then instead of struggling among each other, then we know who is the real resource of threat, uh, evil, you know. So genuine unity, Not I'm not talking about, I would say, ecumenical or I would say political unity. I'm talking about genuine spiritual unity yeah. emerges from a persecution. When people, their lives are threatened, then they would say, well... I want real, genuine uh, sense of security. And we find that in our belonging, in our affiliation to Christ directly and to each other as in the body of Christ. From the benefits of persecution also is it generates more determination for genuine believers to accept suffering for his glory, for Christ's glory, and also to serve more. So persecution does not really drive people away. It Somehow it promotes the gospel more. It uh, makes the followers of Christ more decided, more convinced, uh, more uh, dedicated in their discipleship and in their loyalty to Christ. I'm so glad you talked about the unity because I think that's something that I, I believe that that's a part of Voice of the Martyrs calling to the American church is to build more unity within the body of Christ here in the United States. And You know, we started out talking about torture for Christ, and Richard Wormbrand writes about being in prison with pastors from other churches and other denominations and how they shared a cell together, and they shared communion together, and they prayed together. And there were no denominational walls once you were inside the prison walls. It was only, hey, you're a brother in Christ. 
we're in this together, so we're going to stand up together. There are blessings in persecution. Uh, Those of us here in the United States, we don't like to think about that. We don't like to think about being persecuted, but there are some blessings that come with that. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Pastor Pierre. He is a pastor in the country of Lebanon. Pastor Pierre, there are listeners to Voice of the Martyrs Radio who have a Muslim neighbor or a Muslim coworker or a classmate, and they want to talk about Christ with their Muslim friend. How would you advise them to kind of enter into that conversation? I would say, first of all, love them genuinely. Consider yourself and consider yourselves as Christ standing beside them. And then Christ loved like the uh, religiously fanatic uh, Jews. He loved the uh, publicans, the tax collectors. He loved the uh, uh, Greek philosophers or those who uh, were very intellectual. He loved the tough Roman uh, militants. So his love opened the hearts of people and broke the chains. And then if we love people, they know that we want their best. So if we talk to them from this motive that we want their best, I'm talking to you like my brother, like myself. I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching to you because I want the best for myself and for you as well. From this perspective, then if we come like from a confrontational point of view, like there are two religions fighting in the world, and then here we come like the modern crusaders. We are not coming with the sword, but with uh, evangelism. From this perspective, this is the very wrong way to approach it. We have to approach the other human soul, regardless of their religion, if they are Muslim, we have to maybe to be aware of their uh, of their culture, of their uh, I would say feelings, their personal feelings about their own religion. We should not offend them. We should respect them, love them, and then understand them, and then present the need for forgiveness, the ransom which is lacking in Islam. Mm-hmm. The ransom of our sins is uh, you don't find a solution for this issue. These Muslims or whosoever religion uh, people are, they are like us, you know. They are human beings. There are wonderful people, very thoughtful medical doctors, engineers, whatever. I mean, say they could be very loyal to their countries, but they have different views. Now, when people get very extremist and then militants in their approach, that's a different story. I, I like that you started with love because that is something that we need. And like you say, that's true whether your neighbor is a Muslim or whether your neighbor is not a Muslim, but something else who needs to know Jesus Christ, start out by loving them, ministering to them, and then you have the opportunity to share, hey, let me tell you what I believe. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. Pastor Pierre, our listeners want to pray for people in the Middle East, and particularly, I think, today of Lebanon. How can we pray for the country of Lebanon and especially for the church there, for our brothers and sisters who are serving Christ in that country? In Lebanon, there are 4 million Lebanese, but abroad there are 12, and I'm not exaggerating, maybe more. Why? Because of frustration, because of danger, because Christian minorities, they always felt threatened since the spread of Islam, so they found refuge in different countries. I don't know what to say, but if we can see that there is a rule of reciprocity used by the, I would say, Muslim countries, what would they desire for their own expatriates to be dealt with in the West? 
they would like to have their own rights, their own religious freedom, their own privileges to be protected by constitutions, by laws. They should grant, upon, at least upon the rule of reciprocity, the same to the Christian minority enclaves in their own respective countries. I call it now reciprocity, but the Lord Jesus called it, acquiring it from ourselves as his disciples, whatever you like others to do for you, that you do for them. Pastor Pierre, thank you so much for your heart. Thank you for sharing today with us on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you very much, and God bless you indeed. As always, you can connect with us online at vomradio.net. We talked earlier about Richard Wormbrand's book, Tortured for Christ. The Voice of the Martyrs will send you a free copy of Tortured for Christ if you live in the United States. So connect with us online at vomradio.net. We'll give you a link to request a free copy of Tortured for Christ. Next week, we're going to hear about a country that's in a struggle between communism and Buddhism. In the midst of that tug of war, how is the gospel changing people's lives? We're going to hear from a gospel worker from Tibet. I know you want to be with us next week right here on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.